we have axes, swords, dead rappers, exit mould and a host of other things that will get you wondering what the hell is going on in this world. I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. Tonight we have plenty of news and not from wacky Western Australia for a change. We have an axe attack in Enmore, a samurai sword killing in Forest Lodge, exit mould being used as a weapon in a murder and a girl is almost thrown in front of a train by her boyfriend. All this and more. So first up, we have an unprovoked axe attack that happened in a 7-Eleven at Enmore. Now, Enmore's uh, an inner western suburb of Sydney. Most of this is sourced from news.com.au and abc.net.au. It happened in the early hours of January the 7th, 2017. Evie Amati, a transgendered woman attacked two innocent bystanders with an axe, leaving them bloodied and stunned, then walked up the road, put the axe against a wall and lay down. So let's find out a bit more about 26-year-old Evie Amati first up. Well, Evie was born Carl Amati to Melanie Booth and Michelle Amati, both well-respected union officials. And here we go from Perth, Western Australia. Amati was a brilliant student who topped the state in English and became the highest achiever at Western Australia's top public schools in English literature, ancient history and political science. According to court records, Amadi's father was a strict disciplinarian and once kicked Carl in the butt after bothering his sister for being a girl. Amadi's father, Michelle, industrial advocate of the Western Australian State School Teachers Union and a Western Australian work cover agent. And then there's Amadi's mother, Melanie Booth, who became Western Australian organiser of the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, or CSIRO, Staff Association Division of the Community and Public Sector Union. And she consulted with federal ministers on issues such as disability services. Carl Amati attended Perth's Shenton College and achieved a score of 99.4 and was awarded a Western Australian Government Certificate of Excellence. 
Now, that is in the top 1% of students. Carl would then move to Sydney and get a job at the Community and Public Sector Union at Haymarket near Chinatown. Carl was also a drummer in a band called Everything I Have Is Broken, playing gigs around Sydney. On Carl's birthday in 2012, he declared on Facebook that Carl thinks he has wanted to be a girl for a while now and wants to act more publicly feminine. Thoughts, comments, questions, insults. Carl got a lot of support from family, friends and colleagues with a union and LGBTI community member posting, Carl, obviously the timing and the direction you choose to take this is up to you. But please let us at CPSU people know if there are any way we can support you. There is lots of love for you here. So Carl started hormone therapy and in 2014 flew to Thailand with mum, friends and sister for gender reassignment surgery. Carl was now known as Evie. She started to smoke pot and take ecstasy to help with the pain. Evie started to get into social media fights with other transgender friends, shaming them if they didn't have gender reassignment surgery. In 2015, she split up with her girlfriend. Her mental state started to deteriorate, she was often absent from work, and she presented to hospitals after suicide attempts. By 2016, she started to fantasise about ending her life in a blaze of violence and wanting to twist people's necks on a bus. In November 2016, she bought a two kilogram or four pound long handled axe and tried it out by destroying an old couch. She posted on Facebook to a woman she had a thing for, Oh my God, I just destroyed an old couch with a new axe. It was incredibly satisfying, but gives me ideas. <laughs> In January, Evie messaged her and gave the woman an ultimatum about a meeting between the two of them. Three days later, the woman updated her Facebook relationship status, indicating she was with a man. Evie unfriended her and got on Tinder. She organised to meet two women on January the 6th, 2017 at a pub where they drank vodka and took a pill they thought was MDMA but was actually MDA. Now, a little brief explanation here. MDA effects last for longer. MDA users report more stimulant and hallucinogenic effects. MDMA has more antactogenic effects, which is users wanting to touch, be close to and communicate with others. So they are very similar, but they are different drugs. Anyway, Evie is getting the cold shoulder from her date and her date's friend and decides to leave them. She said they didn't find her attractive because she was transgendered. 
She then posted on Facebook Messenger to her date, some people deserve to die, I hate people. At 1.13am she posted, one day I'm going to kill a lot of people. And then at 1.31am, I know where you live, ha <laughs> ha. At 1.55am, Amati changed her Facebook status to Humans are only able to destroy, to hate, so that is what I shall do. Amati left her home in Enmore, headphones on, listening to one of her favourite songs, Flatline, by American rapper B.O.B. She had the axe in her hand and a long knife in the back pocket of her black shorts. At 2.19am, Amati can be seen on CCTV entering Enmore 7-Eleven, doing a lap of the shop and coming up to Ben Rimmer, who is waiting to buy a pie. Now, Ben at first thought Evie had been to a fancy dress party and that's why she was carrying the axe. Now, I used to live in Newtown and Enmore, the adjoining suburbs, and after a while, shit like this becomes normal. Maybe not so much someone running around with an axe, but it is or was an alternative community. Ben was smiling and he even touched the axe at one stage. He just wanted to get his late night pie and was happy to live and let live. But he was a bit alarmed. He thought something wasn't quite right and he felt a bit threatened. Next thing you know... As Ben paid for his pie, Evie swings the axe and brings it down on Ben's head, knocking him to the ground. Blood was pissing from his head and he thought he was going to bleed out. Luckily for Ben, Evie then turns her attention to a departing customer, Sharon Hacker, who just bought milk and was funnily enough known to Evie as they were both drummers. She swung the axe at Sharon, knocking her to the ground, and then had another swing, but luckily it missed her. Evie then walked out of the shop and up the road. She then approached a homeless guy called Shane Redwood, and he was on guard as she swung at him, and he was able to fend off the axe with his backpack. Evie then walked up the road, put the axe against a wall and laid on the ground, feigning unconsciousness. This is how police found her. Police, along with paramedics, took her to St Vincent's Hospital, where at one stage after police asked her what her name was, she ripped the cannula out of her arm and smirked at police, licked her lips and shouted, I don't have a name. Fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. Later in a police interview, Evie was composed and repeatedly said, I respectfully exercise my right to silence. For fuck's sake, you go to get a late night 7-Eleven pie and you get an axe to the head. I mean, 7-Eleven pies aren't that good, but you don't expect to get an axe to the head. Now, you know what? Sharon Hacker, that was attacked buying her milk... Well, she got trolled online for being a bad mother going out at 2am to buy milk. 
I mean, what the fucking fuck? What is wrong with people? She now suffers from nerve pain and is scared to go out of her house for fuck's sake. She has also lost 25 kilograms or about 50 pounds in weight. Sharon has also stated that she hopes whatever sentence Evie gets, that she uses it for rehabilitation purposes. So fuck off to all those trolls, you fucking dickheads. Now, originally Evie was held in Cessnock Correctional Centre, which does have a female unit where female prisoners are held, but she complained she was not getting the hormones she requires. She has since been moved to the Mary Wade Correctional Centre, a maximum security prison for women at Lidcombe in Sydney's west. Well, she has been found guilty of three counts of attempted murder in the New South Wales District Court and will be sentenced in September. Her defence argued that she has a mental illness, so we will see what the judge reckons on that. Now, I wonder what made her snap. Ecstasy is supposed to be a love drug, not make you go out and become an axe-wielding maniac, but she did buy the axe beforehand, so something was going on. I mean, you don't live in an inner suburb of Sydney and need an axe very often. I mean, fuck, how would you be, though, getting a fucking pie at 2am in the morning and getting an axe to the head? I just want sauce on my pie. Well, as usual, I will update the case once the sentence is brought down next month. Next, we have a murder just up the road from the axe attack And this is at Forest Lodge just last week. I've been following this story all week as there were certain things that didn't add up. Anyway, a man is found bleeding to death in the middle of the road on Friday the 10th of August around lunchtime. By the time police and paramedics arrived, the man was dead with blood and brains dripping out of his skull. At first they thought he was the victim of a violent attack. Police put out an all-points bulletin looking for a couple, 23-year-old animal-loving vegan barista and trainee preschool teacher Hannah Quinn and her 28-year-old boyfriend, actor and martial artist Blake Davis. They were able to identify the dead man as 30-year-old rapper Jet McKee, also known as Skepaz. He'd been allegedly struck in the head by Blake Davis with a samurai sword. Now, all is not what it seems. Apparently the rapper, wearing a balaclava, had carried out a violent home invasion at the residence shared by Hannah and Blake. He was armed with a replica pistol, knuckle dusters and pepper spray. Hannah had just returned to the house after going to the shop to buy coffees, smashed avocado on toast for herself and a bacon and egg roll for Blake. She was sitting on the couple's bed with the brekkie when all of a sudden Jet McKee burst in threatening her and her boyfriend Blake, demanding money. 
It's alleged that while Jet was pointing the pistol at the couple, he told them, you don't want to get hurt, I will shoot you. There's lots more people than me that will shoot you. McKee then punched Blake in the face with the knuckle dusters after Blake told him there was no money in the house. McKee then ran out of the house, grabbing a bag on the way. Now, this is where it gets a bit weird. Hannah ran after him, shouting, Who are you? Who the fuck are you? While Blake grabbed his samurai sword and followed. Hannah was able to catch McKee, grab hold of his jacket and throw him to the ground, while Blake hit him across the head with the samurai sword. Now, remember, this is all alleged. Hannah then shouted at Blake, What the fuck have you done? Before both of them ran off and hid in a neighbouring yard. Blake then said, Fuck, I'm going to jail. McKee got up and staggered a few steps before he collapsed on the ground and died. Witnesses say they then saw another guy, which looked to be an accomplice of McKee, go up to him and say, Jet, Jet, are you okay? As police sirens could now be heard approaching, this unidentified guy ran to a car and drove off. The mystery driver then contacted McKee's girlfriend, Avril Bowers, who is pregnant to McKee, by the way, and told her that McKee would soon be taken to the Royal Prince Alfred Hospital where he would meet her. Mystery man met with Avril, gave her McKee's mobile phone and a set of keys. Later in a Facebook conversation with the mystery man, Avril said, He's dead and it's all your fucking fault. You did it, and this is in reference to driving Jet to the home, you did it even though you knew it was a bad idea. Okay, so some guy comes into your house with a pistol demanding money or he'll shoot you. When he runs out, you chase him rather than call police. Why would any sane or reasonable person do this? The guy ran off with a bag from the house, so there must be something pretty important in that bag for you to chase after the burglar who is armed when you are unarmed. Anyway, detectives would later find mobile phones, a replica pistol, nunchuckers, and a bag containing in cash. Well, there you go. The bag had $21,000 cash in it. Who out there has $21,000 cash in their place lying around? McKee obviously didn't take it into the home invasion with him. That makes no sense at all. But he did take a bag out with him. So this must have contained the $21,000. Although there was a huge police manhunt for Hannah and Blake, they were able to sneak home, or as some reports suggest, break into next doors, change clothes, and then they went from hotel to hotel while in hiding. Now with Blake going in and out of consciousness, apparently, from the beating he took from the knuckle dusters, 
They knew they would have to do something other than be on the run. Eventually, Hannah and Blake gave themselves up to Newtown Police, where they were arrested and charged with murder. Well, this murdered guy, Jet McKee, was not only a talented Sydney rapper, but he was also a gambler. Now, I just want to play a little bit from one of his uh, records that he's got out, or they call them records nowadays? I don't know. One of his tracks that he's released. Here it is. I nearly died yesterday. Lord tried to take my breath away. Sometimes life's like living on a freight train. And I can't get away from my aches and pains. Whilst I renegade, try to save the day. At night, all my ink stains fade away. Stay appreciating the past, the past creation. Awakened at last, the first temptation. A little bit of irony in there, but uh, anyway, reports say he was at one time $31,000 in debt to the casino and that he was bailed out of that by his parents. Now, I've been trying to find out all week what the bag of money was all about as most media reports seem not to be asking the question of what was this couple doing with all this money in their room and did McKee somehow find out about it and decide to rip them off? Well, finally, yesterday or the day before, there was a reference to what the money was for. It was to purchase marijuana. Well, that's a lot of ganja in anyone's books. Now, let's assume that they may have grabbed a few grand before they fled. And I don't know, let's say they grabbed four or $5,000. So there may have been about twenty-five or so thousand dollars in the bag. I reckon you could easily buy three kilo or six pounds of dope for that by any account. That's a lot of pot. But I am just speculating, everybody, don't get too agitated, maybe it was to pay for drugs that had already been sold, and that is why Hannah was so desperate to get it back. Again, allegations and speculations. Anyway, Hannah and Blake are both locked up and charged with murder, with Hannah receiving the additional charge of being an accessory after the fact to murder. Hannah was granted bail on $60,000, which was put up by her family, while Blake is still on remand. They will both reappear in court in October. Uh, Well, this one is truly an interesting case, and I will follow it up, as I'm sure there is so much more to the story than it has come out so far. And just a side note, If you feel you have a gambling problem, please Google your local gambling help centre and get help. As the island is heard around the world, I won't name individual organisations, but they are out there and they are willing to help your addiction. Same for anyone with a drug habit and they need some help. 
From what I can see here, there are three or more people, young people with their whole lives in front of them, that are now fucked or dead. So go and get yourself some help. Anyway, next item for tonight. And now this story is playing out in the New South Wales Supreme Court as we go to air. Raquel Hutchinson and her lover, Paul Wilkinson, are both in court on the charge of murdering Hutchinson's ex-husband, who is only known as Brett. Now, I think this is to help protect his offspring. Anyway, the body of Brett was found on the side of the road at Greengrove, which is a town in the central coast region of New South Wales, Australia. So a nine-year-old boy, who also can't be named, told investigating officers he'd gone to a house in St Mary's, west of Sydney, and complained of an earache. So he went upstairs and had a lie down. He then heard fighting going on downstairs. When he went to look, he heard Brett screaming and saw Paul Wilkinson and Raquel Hutchinson punching him. He then witnessed Raquel Hutchinson with a flick knife in her hands and then she was crouching over Brett, spraying exit mould into his eyes. Brett was howling in pain as Raquel screamed at him, Confess! Confess or I'll kill you! Brett shouted back, I won't confess! The boy then saw Brett lying on his stomach with blood on the floor and saw bloodstains on a rug and blood puddles on the floor. He then heard the sound that gaffer tape makes when you pull it off the roll and he next saw Brett's body in the boot or trunk of the car with blood dripping off his face. Next, they all drove to Wiseman's Ferry where they got the car ferry and then they proceeded to Darug National Park where they dumped Brett's body on the side of Mango Creek Road at Greengrove. It's alleged that on the day of the murder, Hutchinson also texted Wilkinson, Game on, we man up, with a fist, M-Joy. Later, Hutchinson allegedly texted to Wilkinson, Exit mould works like mace, and shit cunts always win, except when someone stops them. Later, Hutchinson told a friend, I'm fucked, I need help. We bashed him and we tied him up. Hutchinson is pleading not guilty as she says she's mentally ill. She's also saying Brett was a Satan worshipper and she only did what she did to protect some children from abuse. Now, on her Star Now profile, Hutchinson describes herself as I look like Alyssa Milano. I sound like Anastasia. I'm vibrant, alluring, friendly, fun, dedicated and professional. Maybe she should add uber resourceful as well. Now, this again will be interesting to find out what was really going on. Was he a satanic kitty fiddler and she's done a good thing for the world? Or is she just a psycho freak killing her ex? I guess we'll find out soon, and as usual, I'll update this case 
when it's all done in court. Okay, now this is a really disturbing story from Adelaide. Now this just does give me the rage. Lucas Gary Narkle, 19, and his 14-year-old girlfriend, yes, you heard it right, his 14-year-old girlfriend was sitting on a bench at Elizabeth South train station. Now, this 14-year-old girlfriend thing's a bit rageful enough, but let me go on. CCT footage then shows Narkle force the 14-year-old off the seat before dragging her to the edge of the platform in front of an approaching train. The girl is seen struggling for her life as Narkle wrestles her towards the edge of the platform. Eventually, the girl falls to the ground and they both fall over. He does this a second time, but again the girl is able to resist being thrown in front of a fast-moving train. What the fuck is wrong with people? Narkle was arrested and had been on remand for three months before being granted bail. Narkle was originally charged with attempted murder and at the time was armed with a baseball bat. These charges were reduced to endangering the life of his 14-year-old girlfriend. Narkle has pleaded guilty to this lesser charge. Now, up until this week, his victim was so traumatised, she couldn't provide a victim impact statement. But she has now changed her mind, and this has delayed the sentencing of Narkle. Now, this little piece of shit will just get a slap on the wrist and we can all sit back and watch his next criminal act. Listen to this. This is what the fucking judge said. Judge Stretton said that he was unlikely to impose further jail time on Narkle, but he was instead inclined to order that he perform community service work. I have to bear in mind that his actual actions here are brief, irresponsible and didn't cause any physical harm at all, he said. What the fuck is wrong with this dickhead of a judge? This narkle is just scum. He needs to be wiped off the planet, not let out in the community. Anyway, Narkle and his supporters sprinted from court after Thursday's hearing, all in their tracky dackies and shit, you know. They arrived more than 30 minutes late for the for Wednesday's hearing. They were blaming public transport issues for the delay. Will you get up early when you have to go to court, just in case there's a delay? Now, on his exit from court, Narkle goes on, Shout out to my boys in Yatala. Now, Yatala is a labour prison camp. He's laughing at you, Judge Stretton. He doesn't give a shit because he knows you are too gutless to send him to prison. The blood of his next victim is on your hands. Okay, let's calm down a bit and we'll get onto something a little bit different. Man gets arrested while wearing Monopoly, go directly to jail t-shirt. Daily 20 of Cape Coral, Florida, 
which is our Western Australia, I think, Florida, was arrested for possession of marijuana of no more than 20 grams and possession of drug paraphernalia while wearing a Monopoly Go Directly to Jail t-shirt, according to the Sheriff's Office. It was in custody for about seven hours before posting $6,500 bail as he did not have a get-out-of-jail-free card. There you go. Now, finally, a story out of Kansas City. On September the 1st, 20-year-old Sean A. Sykes Jr. was in a car that police searched and found a backpack that contained various drugs and two handguns. One of the guns, a three fifty-seven Magnum, had been reported stolen out of a car in Independence a few days earlier. While being questioned, Sykes denied knowing anything about the guns and drugs. Dunno, not mine. In his report about the interview, the detective wrote that when he asked about his address, Mr Sykes leaned to one side of his chair and released a loud fart before answering with the address. Mr Sykes continued to be flatulent and I ended the interview, the detective wrote. Charges were not filed at that time, you stinky boy. Sykes then stood up, clicked his heels three times, farted again and said, there's no place like home. (laughs) So that's the end of the show and we've got another great case coming up next week. But now, on with the shout outs for the new Patreon people for this week. And we have a couple. We have Kate McGregor, welcome and thank you. Jackie Rowan who upped her pledge this week and thank you very much. Don't forget on the $10 and $20 level, after three months, you get to choose a mug or T-shirt of your choice. Mug for $10 and shirt for the $20 pledge. Stickers for all $5 patrons. Please make sure that if you are to get an award, that your address is correct. And if you're expecting something and it hasn't made it to you, please let me know so I can sort something out. I think, as I said before, only a couple of things have ever gone missing in the post. So you too can help out the island for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island and get on board. But if you don't want a monthly commitment, you can also donate via PayPal at paypal.me forward slash true crime island. A big shout out to Supreme Princess Christy Booth for your donation. Thank you very much. I hope you love the Boomvakalunga tote bag. A big shout out to a couple of mates, Ben Dover and Phil McCracken. Also a shout out to Damo, go the dragons mate. A big shout out to Anthony Alvarenga as well, who is on a mission to get more listeners for the island. Cheers, Anthony. Now if you email me, cambo at truecrimeisland.com, I've also got stacks of koozies, keychains, stickers and lapel pins that I can post to you for a donation amount. Now that all depends on postage and the like. And as Mike did last week, all other merch such as t-shirts, hoodies, tote bags, mugs of rage and the likes is via the shop at truecrimeisland.threadless.com. Check out the new mug of rage design. There are links to everything at the website truecrimeisland.com. 
Now, this is a totally listener-supported show, as I know how annoying those ads can be. So every cent goes back to the island, and it is greatly appreciated. I've just renewed the hosting for another year and the Google stuff and all that sort of annual stuff. So that must mean it's nearly the second birthday for the island. So what are we going to do? But you don't have to spend money to support the show. You can rate, review and share the love. Tell someone about the show and if they don't know what a podcast is, grab their phone and hook them up. Don't forget to join the closed group on Facebook, hook up on Twitter and Instagram. The handle for those two is True Crime Island and for Facebook, just search True Crime Island. Our amazing mods or myself will let you in, so hi to Jason and Senga. And I find it amazing how many ladies want me to look at their videos. But luckily we've got some mods there to sort all that out. So tonight I've got two promos. The first one is from Nikki T and it's from Strictly Homicide, a true crime podcast discussing lesser known cases from Arkansas. Do yourself a favour and give it a listen. The other is Murderous Miners, a true crime podcast bringing tales of killer kids, factual stories of murderous children throughout the years, a parent's worst nightmare nightmare by War Baby and Resonant Recordings. Again, do yourself a favour and check it out. Well, that's about it for tonight and lots of love to Maggie James. So this has been Cambo and you've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history. Boom vagalanga. host of Strictly Homicide, a narrative true crime podcast that covers the lesser-known cases that have happened in the natural state. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and all major podcast apps. Visit strictlyhomicide.com or find us on social media by searching Strictly Homicide Podcast. Until then, stay safe, especially you, Arkansas. This is Murderous Miners, Killer Kids, bringing you the frightening and truly insane tales of children with the thirst to kill. Kindergarten through 12th grade murderers. True stories thoroughly researched. Join us weekly for new tales of parents' worst nightmares on Murderous Miners, Killer Kids. Killer Kids.